0: Science story, huh?
1: Is NOU scientist a felt I was so and and I, just oh, thought, well. I figured
2: it wow. out. It was that tall. golden moment because science was on my side. Hey everybody, welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. I am your host, Aaron Barker, and this week we're presenting stories about being older and therefore wiser. And that is because Story Collider is about to turn nine years old. Can you believe it? I want to invite all of you to celebrate our ninth birthday with us on May 6th, a caveat here in New York. We have a really amazing lineup of storytellers ready to celebrate with us. We've got... Ann McLaughlin, a neurologist who shared the 2018 MIT Media Lab Disobedience Award with Tarana Burke and Sherry Martz for her leadership in raising awareness of Me Too issues in science academia. We've got hilarious comedians Kate Willett and Mamadou Najaye We've got Cambry Cruz, author of the New York Times bestselling memoir, Burn Down the Ground. We've got Cleo A. Cumberbatch, a lecturer at Columbia and an activist for criminal justice reform here in the city. And we've got Bianca Jones-Marlin, a neuroscientist who is always a hit on our show she is beautiful a genius hilarious it's really it's seriously unfair <laughs> i've been meaning to talk to her about it and in addition to all of this we've also got myself and story colliders tracy Rowland, who will be hosting the evening i cannot wait tracy cannot wait all of us are so excited and we would absolutely love to see all of you there so tickets are on sale now at storycollider.org and i hope that we do In the meantime, we have two stories for you today about being older and wiser to tide you over until the big day. Our first story is from Anna Noy. It was recorded in August 2018 at Caveat in New York City. The theme that night was attraction.
1: So in sixth grade at Gilbert H. Hood Middle School in Derry, New Hampshire, we were told that we were going to go on this week-long overnight camp trip uh, to Ferry Beach Science Camp. Uh, we learn about the stars and the tides and the forests and have these amazing science teachers and also get to see our classmates outside of school. Uh, but what I was most excited about was falling in love because I was told by some friends of mine who were older that this camp was a special magical place where kids found their soulmates. So, I went into this with high expectations, and the reason why I wanted so badly to fall in love, I think, is because I would watch so many romantic movies with my mom at a young age. We watched Notting Hill and Sense and Sensibility and a lot of Nor Ephron flicks, and I would just watch my mom cry as she watched these movies, and I was like, oh, this must be important. I need this. <laughs> and, you know, since this was a special camp, and I didn't know when this opportunity would come around again after sixth grade i had to I had to do this now um, and you know i i wasn 't particularly good with boys, um, especially boys that I liked i was like I was kind of like violent and um, <laughs> There, there were boys on the playground who would call me Anna Banana and like, like, hey Anna Banana and it was like probably flirting but I would chase them and I would then throw them into tire swings um, and this, this one day there was this boy who said it and I just got so angry at, and I chased him and I threw him into a tire pyramid and he bumped his head so hard that he had this enormous welt on his head and had to go to the nurse's office and I had to go to the vice principal, which was which was way scarier than going to the principal, because our principal looked like Santa Claus and only talked to the good kids. So I knew I had done something wrong, and then I also had to call his parents to apologize. And after that, my desire to chase kind of dwindled, and then I became much more introverted and shy around boys that I liked, and thus I was invisible. Um, but the kind of boy I liked was this boy named Nick in my creative writing class, He was really smart and witty and cute, and he was like a little chubby and he was like a little pocket-sized Zach Galifianakis. (laughs) And (laughs) he didn't notice me at all. Um, The kind of boy that noticed me was a boy, um, a tuba player named Brandon. And uh, see, I, I played the bass guitar in marching band. Which makes no sense. And uh, I was kind of put in the side corner in front of the brass section. And those boys would tease me and they would empty their spit valves on my head um, all the time. And Brandon was the worst of them. So, So I knew who I liked and I knew who I didn't like. And what I needed was for this camp to bring me to the person that I liked. To build up my confidence and just to allow this... Magical thing to happen. So the week comes. I'm very excited. I packed my favorite outfit, which is this Mighty Mouse sweatshirt and my brother's large cargo shorts, because I was like, a, like I was like a little skater girl. And um, I got to board with my best friend, and, and you know, the week kicks off, and we're, we're learning about the tides, and we're catching fireflies, and we're making s'mores while learning about the stars. And you know, during uh, lunch hours, we would sing these little science songs, one of which I remember was, uh, Predators and Prey, Producers and Decay are in the Food Chain, Chain, Chain. <laughs> it's catchy. You know, uh, and also these these rumors were coming true. I was seeing all around me my friends falling in love and they were pairing off and running off to hold hands or kissing when the teachers weren't looking and I was extremely jealous because this wasn't happening for me. And Nick was nowhere to be found. I'm not sure if he even ended up coming. He wasn't in my group. Um, But then a boy did come up to me and talk to me and he asked if he could sit with me and he asked if he could have lunch with me and it was Brandon, the tuba player. So, I didn't. I didn't want to talk to him, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe in the science camp light, he looked he looked a little different. Maybe, and you know, I don't know. That joke he just made—I normally wouldn't find funny, but ha, m- maybe. <laughs> You know and, and then I thought to myself I can't deny this this maybe this is what the camp is telling me to do I'm supposed to fall in love with Brandon maybe I I I, I this is like a force of nature that I can't control and I should just I should just go with it I guess you know I, I always assumed that it would be someone else but you know, you can be proven wrong. So the rest of the week just turned out to be this, like, rom-com montage where we'd run down the beach together and he'd carry me on his shoulders and he'd run until he fell because I was much heavier than him. And, you know, some of his friends would, would tease him about liking me because I was a nerd and they said some, some pretty mean things and his response was like, well, I'm still going to hang out with her. I was like, okay, kind of defended me. All right. And then... The last day, he came up to me, and he had this perfect little shell, and he handed it to me, and he asked me if I wanted to be his girlfriend, and I said, yeah, okay. You know, and I left the camp thinking, well, this isn't exactly what I thought it was going to be, but but I, I, I am, I'm falling in love, and this is great, and I have a boyfriend, and you know, I, I have to go tell my best friend, Monica, and she, she was my neighbor across the street, and she was a year older and wiser, so I thought, okay, I'm going to go show off my new boyfriend. I go there, she's eating up all these details, but then she wants me to call him, because she wants to see what he sounds like. So I, I'm nervous, because I've never called a boy before, and I'm nervous because i'm calling brandon so he picks up it's a little awkward um but then we start talking about our memories from camp and then he says you know i've i'm really excited about this because i've wanted this for a really long time that's why i'd been flirting with you in band (laughs) um but so there's just this there's just this like little. There's this little thing I forgot. I forgot to mention to you. Uh, well, here's the thing. So I have. So I have a girlfriend he, at home, um, but you know. So what? I, what's just gonna happen is I just need like two weeks, and then I'll break up with her. But then like it's gotta be a secret, and then I need like a little bit of buffer time because I can't go from girlfriend to girlfriend. But then after that, we're good. <laughs> and then I remembered, I don't like Brandon. <laughs> So the next day I go to school and I see him at his desk and I walked up to him slowly. I looked him right in the eyes. I took the single shell out of my pocket and I put it right in the center of his desk. And he dropped his head to the table and covered his face with his hands. I didn't have to say anything else, he knew. (laughs) And then everything went back to normal and he continued to tease me in band. You know, and I continued to have a crush on Nick, and he never noticed. And then I went back to watching romantic movies with my mom. Only now, I had just come out the other side of my first breakup. So I was a new woman, <laughs> a wiser woman. So when I would watch these movies, I would enjoy them, yes, but I also had a very discerning eye. I watched Sleepless in Seattle, and I thought to myself, oh, no, Meg Ryan, what are you doing? Yes, you might have just met Tom Hanks at the end of this movie, but do you really know who he is? You only know of him from a radio show and a letter. You know, over time, you may discover that he's a tuba player named Brandon. Thank you.
2: That was Anna Noy. Anna is a trained dancer and Michael Howard studio conservatory taught actor. She also performs comedy at the Magnet Theater on weekends and shows such as the Armando Diaz experience and has been on several house teams there. Her voice can be heard on a handful of episodes of the Truth Podcast, and she is also a recent Moss Story Slam winner. Speaking of being older and wiser... (laughs) The other day in the parking lot of a Publix in Florida, I was mistaken for my husband's child for the third time in our relationship. Always a thrill. Always. Just to be clear, my husband is one year older than me. I had thought, now that I am 33 years old, perhaps this would stop happening. But there was this woman yelling at him in the parking lot for some parking lot faux pas that she imagined he had committed. So he flipped her off which is really honestly kind of a risk in Florida. But she screamed at him, you gave me the finger with a child in the car? Listeners, I was the only other person in the car. Just grateful that I was properly gendered this time because the last time this happened, we were in a taxi and my husband was talking to the driver about politics or something. I made a comment and the driver said, see, even the boy knows. And it emerged that he had thought I was my husband's young son. Even the boy knows indeed. Our next story today is from Anika Harriet. It was recorded in August twenty eighteen at Beer Baron Tavern in Washington, DC. The theme that night was insight. It's a
0: Saturday morning and I'm sitting in the back seat of my parents' car reading. I'm nine years old and I'm not allowed to leave home without a book. This time, I've chosen a book about a neurosurgeon and as I'm reading, an idea comes over me. So I close my book and I get my parents' attention and my dad adjusts the rear view mirror so that he can look right into my eyes, which was one of his favorite moves during car conversations. It seems like all of my most important conversations with my parents take place in the car and I like to think, that they choose these moments to impart their wisdom because I'm trapped. We're in the moving vehicle. There's nowhere I can go. And I remember I'm looking up at my dad through my purple wireframe glasses, and I tell my parents that I've decided when I grow up, I'm going to become an astronaut and a pediatric cardiovascular surgeon. In those exact words. By the age of nine, I've already had plenty of career changes from journalist to writer, news anchor and chemist. But these all came with the full support of my parents. In fact, I fell asleep every night looking up at the laminated definition of passion that they had taped to the ceiling. So that it was the last thing that I saw every night before I went to sleep and the first thing I saw every morning. They'd even already purchased me my very first microscope, and my dad would bring me samples, sometimes human, to look at under the lens. So when I tell them about my new career choice, my parents are pretty unsurprised. And my dad, looking at me through the rearview mirror, says, I think you can do that. Maybe you can grow up to study the heart in space. And I look back at my dad, and I think to myself, That sounds fake. (laughs) Even though in that moment I didn't really believe my dad's insight that I could combine my passion for medicine with my love for space travel, it still sparked something in me. And from that age, I immersed myself in biology wherever I could. I would go to science fairs, magnet school programs, Anything that I could get my hands on. I would even fill out the forms myself and bring them to my parents, completed for a signature or check. <laughs> I knew from that conversation that whatever I did, I was going to grow up to be a cardiologist. So I dove into science and I was absolutely thriving. Even though becoming a cardiologist wasn't as easy as I thought it would be when I was nine years old, I loved every second of it. And the only thing I loved more than doing the science was talking about it. Whether it was the experiments I was doing, the books that I was reading, the robots that I could build, uh, no one could keep me quiet about it. (laughs) I was around 15 years old when I started to notice something about the people around me. They didn't really look like me. In my magnet program for STEM in high school, I could count on one hand the number of black students there were in all four years. My classmates joked that I was like an Oreo, black on the outside, but so smart, outgoing, put together. I had to be white on the inside. Adults told me that I was very well-spoken and the for a black girl didn't have to be said to be understood. I didn't feel any different from the people around me But they kept telling me that I was. And that was the first time that I realized that there were people who didn't think that I'd grow up to study the heart and space, and not because they didn't think it was real like I had, but simply because of who I am. Telling people that I wanted to grow up to study the heart and space started to feel a lot like when a three-year-old tells you they're going to grow up to become president. It's like real cute, but pretty silly. So I stopped talking about it my priorities shifted, and at 15, like many other 15-year-olds, I was more concerned with fitting in and being normal than I was with my science. My parents noticed, especially when my grades started to fall. And I'll never forget the car conversation we had after they picked up my report card and I'd failed computer science and just barely passed my other STEM classes. That day they did something they'd never done before. They pulled the car over. (laughs) Yeah. The conversation we had that day was hands down one of the hardest of my adolescence. I don't talk to my parents about it to this day because the shame still weighs heavy on my chest. But that day, halfway between home and my small town magnet school, sitting in a literal cornfield, was the day that things started to change for me. I realized that I had to be able to get up every morning and look at the person in the mirror and know that she was worth it. And I had to go to bed every night proud of the things that I had done that day. I had to be able to invest selfishly if I wanted to get to where I wanted to go. Because if I didn't invest in myself, no one else was going to. I had to become the scientist and the person that I wanted to be. Unfortunately, my high school failures derailed my dream of going to a prestigious college. And so I watched many of my peers go off to Ivy Leagues while I went to a brand new science program at a small practically unheard of university in Southern Virginia. But I was determined not to let my failures define my future. So I'm 20 years old, sitting in the passenger seat of my mom's new SUV. And she's driving me home from my first day as an intern at NASA Langley. And on our hour car ride home, I tell her about the live stream that I'd watched the night before, where astronaut and biochemist Kate Rubens was launched to the International Space Station. And one of the experiments she'd be conducting while there was monitoring heart stem cells in space. I tell my mom about this mathematician I learned used to work right there at NASA Langley, her name was Katherine Johnson, and she and plenty of other black women were the ones who paved the way to get the first Americans to space. And I tell my mom that I've spent a lot of time hiding my dream of becoming an astronaut, and studying the heart in space, that I was done because there were too many people who had paved the way for me to get to where I wanted to get. I owed it to them, I owed it to my parents, and I owed it to myself. So the next summer, I started my Ph.D. in biochemistry with a New Resolve. And I went lab to lab searching for an advisor. And I would tell them that I wanted to study muscles in space. And they looked at me and they said, that sounds fake. (laughs) They wanted to know how I planned from getting from research conducted on campus to research conducted at least 250 miles above Earth. And I didn't know. Because I was the student. (laughs) Things pretty much continued on that way until one day I sat in on a presentation by Dr. Chris Ward. And he studies, in his words, how forces affect muscle function. And as I sat listening to him describe his research, I used the little bit of scientific insight that I had as a first year student to connect the dots between what he found in muscle and bone and what I knew happened to astronauts' muscle and bone in space. I thought that his research sounded a lot like what I wanted to do, but, you know, space. (laughs) So a few weeks later, I went to Dr. Ward's office, and I said to him, I want to study muscles in space. And he looked at me, and I got a response a lot like what I'd heard 13 years prior. And he said, I think you can do that. And now,
1: I do.
2: That was Anika Harriet. Anika is currently working on her Ph.D. in biochemistry and molecular biology at the University of Maryland School of Medicine. Her research focuses on mechanotransduction, she plans to use her degree to explore the effects of long duration space missions on the human body and hopes to someday venture out into the final frontier herself. Anika is also the social media coordinator and LGBTQ engagement specialist for Vanguard STEM, Conversations for Women of Color in STEM, a nonprofit dedicated to lifting the voices of women and non binary people of color in STEM. And speaking of older and wiser, it is Anika's birthday today. Happy birthday, Anika! Uh, congratulations on being one year wiser The Story Collider is grateful for the support of the Tiffany & Co. Foundation and of Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science The Story Collider is led by me, Artistic Director Aaron Barker, as well as Executive Director Liz Neely, with help from Deputy Director Nissa Greenberg, Operations Support Manager Lindsay Cooper, and the rest of our amazing team The stories featured in today's podcast were from shows produced by Paula Croxon, Tracy Rowland, Miriam Zaringalem, and Shane Hanlon. The podcast is produced by senior podcast editor Zoe Saunders with help from Gwen Hogan. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to Caveat and Beer Baron for hosting these shows and to our storytellers for giving us nine years of awesome stories about science. Thanks for listening.